So hello and welcome to another um, Future Pharmacist Conference session. So a conference is well underway uh, by the stage and we're, we're joined by the very good friends and colleagues. Very lucky to have um, such expertise joining us today, really. So uh, I'm going to go around uh, and introduce everyone. That's OK. And then um, we could maybe, starting with Mags after after I finish, um, we could maybe go around the house with Mags, Katrina, and then Healy. Um, maybe share your professional background and a little bit about your um, about your research interests, because of course the the title of the of the conference is um, sorry, the title of this session is um, the future of pharmacists and research. So we're hoping to have a a good old chat about research, how pharmacists can access research, just all about it really, um, and hopefully light up some light bulbs and, and inspire some action from um, pharmacists out there. So we've got Professor Mags Watson. So Mags is Professor of Health Services Research and Pharmacy Practice at the University of Strathclyde. She's also an independent consultant and her consultancy is called Watson Research and Training Limited Health Services Research. Um, she's a an, she's a health ser health services research trainer, uh, mentor, and coach, and of course she's a she's also a pharmacist. Um, second of all, we've got Professor Katrina Matheson. So Katrina is a professor in substance use, um, and that's also that's at the University of Stirling. She's also a freelance researcher in drug dependence, and currently. She is the chair of the Scottish Drugs Drug Deaths Task Force. Um, and last but not least, another good friend and colleague, so Dr. Haley Gordon. Um, so Haley's a research and community pharmacist. Her current role is senior lecturer in pharmacy practice at the University of Huddersfield, and she's interested in suicide research. Uh, she's a community pharmacist, still practices, and currently lead at RPS. Greater Manchester. So, yeah, you'll see. I mean, the group will probably go into a little bit more detail when they introduce themselves. But as you can see, tremendous, tremendous credibility and um, experience um, this morning. So, Mags, do you want to? Can I invite you to go first and just um, share a little bit about your, um, a little bit more detail about your professional background and why, maybe why research is important to you? Thanks very much, Jonathan, and hello, everybody. Um, thank you for inviting me to be part of this panel today. Um, so uh, I am a pharmacist. I, I qualified a long time ago, and um, my background was hospital pharmacy. Um, and it was whilst I was working as a rheumatology and self-medication pharmacist that I got interested in research. The rheumatology team was very research active. Um, I had a lot of patient contact and I used to get frustrated with the, the way in which non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs were used, NSAIDs, and I knew that if I wanted to change anything about it, I would need to change uh, general practitioner prescribing rather than the prescribing within the hospital because it was GP prescribing that was driving um, th this behaviour. So, so that basically led me to undertake my PhD to develop um, evidence-based guidelines and then to test different ways of, of implementing them with, with general practitioners to see if we could change their behaviour. So that was back in the 90s 
And since then, I've continued um, in my academic career. Um, I also had a, a period of time where I worked for pharmaceutical uh, public health um, for NHS Grampian. Um, and now I am with the University of Strathclyde. For um, I work there part time and I have my consultancy. So um, the reason I got in uh, involved in research is because as, as somebody who had a patient facing role, there were questions coming up every day that I wanted to answer and I couldn't really answer in the day job. Now that I work in academia, I don't have that stimulus, but there's plenty of other questions that arise in policy and from practitioners that, that I have contact with that, that lead me to, to work with them to try and derive evidence data to, to answer those questions, to answer those challenges and to inform practice and policy and so on. So just briefly, some of the research I'm involved with just now through Strathclyde is um, working with Healthcare Improvement Scotland and, and others to see what we can do to promote greater public involvement with the safe and effective use of medicines to try and encourage them to be uh, more proactive in seeking information about their medicines when they present prescriptions um, or they receive a prescription for a new medicine. So that's a, a major piece of work that's going on at the moment. Um, the other major study I'm involved with is funded by Dunhill Medical Trust, and that's looking at older people who use medicines, but who also have sensory impairments, so either hearing, visual or both. And there's many challenges that they face. So we're trying to work through how best to provide care for these, um, these older people with their medicines and these sensory impairments. So that's a very um, it's a very challenging project to do, particularly during this period um, with, with, with COVID and so on. But I think it has a potential to make a real difference to the lives of older people um, in the future. So that's what I'm up to at the moment, or a distillation of what I'm up to. Yeah, fascinating. And, and, and I, I would say it's, a, you know, it, it's the most recent stuff you're involved in, Mags, but it's, it's probably, a, if, if you Google Mags Watson, research pharmacist, there's there's a back catalogue, you know, you're so well published. So it's it's um, it's interesting to hear what you're up to at the moment. Very impactful, meaningful work. So fantastic. Um, Katrina. Okay, thanks. So, yeah, so good to be here. Um, and I'm really pleased that you've taken an interest in research um, and, um, you know, giving it the time and, and allowing us to discuss it a wee bit. So my interest, I suppose, actually came from the topic area rather than an interest in research as such. So um, I, you know, I worked in a pharmacy when I was still at school and I worked oh, during my um, studies in a, in a community pharmacy. And I was really interested in the way certain customers or patients, patient stroke customers were treated um, coming into the pharmacy. So these were people who were trying to get syringes and needles who were clearly using drugs and at that time we didn't have needle exchange schemes we didn't have methadone prescribing um, and it was that interaction um, and really policing of trying to get this this very difficult group out the pharmacy as quickly as possible and not give them what they wanted that kind of triggered my interest in this this group of people who would use misuse um, substances. So um, later on, when I'd done my degree and after, I worked um, for a while in hospital pharmacy, 
but that wasn't really, I knew that wasn't quite for me, so I was looking for something else. And I took up an MSc in public health and that got me into the research kind of frame of mind. So I built on that and then after that I did a PhD and I brought those things together because my PhD was around service provision for people who have um, substance use issues. And really that's been the start of my research career. I've kind of worked in this field now for 25 plus, plus years. Um, and in terms of what's happening now, so over that time we've done a lot of work looking at pharmacy, pharmacy interaction with people. Also beyond the pharmacy, though I've also worked with in general practice and in drug services and with people who are using substances in terms of their motivations and what they expect from, um, from care, if you like. Currently, given that Scotland is experiencing a very high level of drug-related deaths, and we have a, a very complex picture that plays into that, benzodiazepines alongside opiates, alongside gabapentins and cocaine, all of these things are in the mix. It's a really complicated picture. Um, so what I'm doing at the moment in terms of active research is an intervention development study where we're looking at the benzodiazepines that are being misused on top of opiate replacement treatment. So we've developed an intervention using a, a framework, the, the um, complex, uh, complex intervention framework, and we are about to start the feasibility testing of that with a view to hopefully being able to do a bigger trial um, in the future if it's, if it's feasible. So that's one current study, and I'll stop rabbiting on um, and let somebody else speak now. You're certainly not certainly not rabbiting, Katrina. I mean, we you know we didn't. Um, it, the 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 chat is about is sort of going to be about the you know the process of research, some of the opportunities, some of the barriers. But honestly, it is really um, amazing to have you on the line because that that work in the in the as chair of the drug drug desk task force is again very important meaningful work um and as you were speaking there i was just thinking you know how complex it is these people a lot of the people you'll be looking into with substance use or misuse will be i guess have have unsettled chaotic lives so there's i suppose in i mean you could all correct me but it's it's nice to just have a small number of variables in research i guess but my yeah. feeling looking at that area is it's very complex and lots of moving parts and so on and so forth. Yeah, so. Absolutely, yeah. And that's the complexity is um, makes it all more challenging to study, um, for sure. And Haley will experience some of this as well in her frontline work. I mean, she's sort of smiling and nodding there because I can see she could recognise some of the 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 um, well, the cha challenges with the the patient group, if you like, because there's a real crossover between mental health and, and substance use, these things are very, um, you know, the, over 90% of people with substance use problems also report um, mental health problems of various, various sorts. So that's another level of complexity that it makes it all the more challenging to, to study, but also all the more interesting. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Okay. And Healy, so you, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to sort of preempt what you're going to say, but um, I, I, you know, we've been friends and colleagues for a, for a few years and, and worked casually on on a few projects now. And um, 
I, I mean, I admire everyone's work on the call, but I, you know, I, I remember, um, I think you went to America um, on, a, on a fellowship, which maybe maybe you might want to discuss, but you you, um, you came back and certainly that, it looked from afar anyway, as if that, that had a very positive impact on you. So yeah, feel free to share where your, your research interest sparked and, and maybe where it's where it's headed. Thanks, Jonathan. And the Churchill Memorial Trust will be very glad to hear those words because the whole point of that uh, fellowship is to come back with some some useful actions, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I've been in research not not quite as long um, as as we've heard so far. And um, so I qualified as a pharmacist in 2013 when I was working in community pharmacy. Um, and actually, similar to what Katrina's described it was seeing some of my patients um, uh, customers so whatever your preferred term is and some of the challenges that they were facing that prompted my urge to do research and I applied for a funded PhD that was advertised at the University of Manchester and um, so this is something we can pick up later if you want to about routes into PhDs and um, and it was at the the NIHR Greater Manchester Patient Safety Translational Research Centre under the supervision of Professor Darren Ashcroft and Professor Roger Webb. The as we can are, the um, advertised PhD is very loose, something about medicine, something about suicide, using big data. Went to the interview, thought I'd absolutely bomb the interview, got a call on the way back, would you like to do the PhD? So yes, I was packing my bags from the Midlands to go to Manchester. And um, so, yeah, I was privileged to work in this very nice uh, research centre um, to do my PhD. Quite early on, I found myself in Canada at the International Association for Suicide Prevention Conference and realised I was the only pharmacist there. I thought, what would I do in my practice? I'm doing this big data with epidemiology work, very, very important. But from perhaps quite a selfish point of view, I don't know what I would do as a pharmacist in a situation if, if someone um, stood in front of me and, and said they were suicidal. And, and indeed, that sort of thing had happened when I had been in, in practice and probably was the underlying trigger who wanted to do this sort of PhD. So I sort of made it a little bit like a bee in my bonnet to start talking about what I was learning in the more broad context of suicide prevention whilst doing the PhD. And to cut a long story short, that led me to be awarded my Churchill Fellowship. So the, the Winston Churchill Memorial, Memorial Trust, as was now called the Churchill Fellowship, fund people from loads and loads of different sectors, nothing to do with any necessary research background, don't have to be, to go abroad to study something that you could perhaps bring back some good practice for the UK. So as you can probably imagine, this was in 2018, there's very little work about the role of pharmacists and suicide prevention and um, but I did go to Canada where most of the work was being done with um, Professor David Gardner and Dr Andrea Murphy um, a little bit of time in New York State with Professor Jill Levine and particularly some time in Washington State um, with the Washington State Pharmacy Association and a visit to Forefront Suicide Prevention there because they had just made it mandatory for pharmacists to do some suicide prevention training. That was the first sort of state or country in the world to have done that. So that was sort of where I went. Um, and then we, in, alongside it, we were doing some work about the role of pharmacy teams in, in suicide prevention in the UK, which was actually a student project and, and then got published. That was really great. 
And um, the reason that was a student project is because it didn't get funded when I applied for funding. So this is a message that I'm sure both Mags and Katrina will also pick up when we talk more broadly about research. Um, so yeah, I've kept on these lines of role of pharmacy teams in suicide prevention. Very, very glad to see Zero Suicide Alliance training become part of the pharmacy contract in England last year, this year, earlier this year. Um, and also some big data epidemiology work. So that's actually my technical skill set, really, uh, big data epidemiology, but that's not the skill set that enables me to answer questions about role of pharmacy teams in suicide prevention. So that's why being in a really good research environment can help you to sort of spin off into to learn about different research methods. Um, then in 2019, I was very happy to secure my position as senior lecturer in pharmacy practice at the University of Huddersfield to make, help me have this research independence to further this work alongside my teaching role, which I obviously start implemented some bits that we found out within the teaching and, and supporting students through their projects as well in the third year. So in a nutshell, that's what I've been up to. My current focus um, continues to be suicide prevention and, and mental health in education. Um, I've been collaborating um, with Dr. Caroline Copeland at KCL um, on the MPSAD data set, which is National Substance National Program of Substance Misuse, uh, Abuse Death data set. I've got that totally wrong. It's something like that. <laughs> um, and so that's my new epidemiology baby to be working on uh, because there's lots of learning we can get from that. And one of the exciting papers that we've got into review at the moment is looking at uh, feasibility of an antidepressant support service in community pharmacy. A little bit like the NRS, but NMS plus sort of. Um, and I also have a PhD student now, my first PhD student, Santo, she's looking at suicide prevention uh, and potential role of community pharmacies in Africa. So that's, that's me in a nutshell at the moment. Wow, again, um, and, and <laughs> you only qualified in 2013, so that's that's a bit it's a bit crazy what what you've managed to achieve in that time really um but yeah one of the things like one of the things i wanted to cover in this sort of discussion was first and foremost was like that you know that simon sinek thing the why um and and i think you've you've all really covered that so it's it's very interesting to hear the reasons why you got into research um and what drove that sort of level of interest really um everyone's got a different story i guess um but you've all you've all been published and and i must hold my hands up and say i am i would say i'm consciously largely consciously incompetent in the research field so so feel free to keep me right but i suppose that i don't know what what part of my brain i i like i like to understand you know the steps to get to a certain position in a career because like in through pharmacy and practice um well i've met you guys you know you, you know you're one of many people that very successful um people that are again are doing very impactful meaningful work um but sometimes i wonder gosh they've done so much and, and in this case in the research space but how on earth did they get there? Like, you know, Katrina, how did you, how did you, you know, come, I'll come around everyone, but how did you, you know, how did you get to be the chair of, of the drug desk task force? I mean, arguably one of the most important um, posts in Scotland at the moment, I would say, I don't think that's an exaggeration in the health scene. It's one of the most pressing problems that needs sorted. 
mags, like your back catalogue is amazing. Um, <laughs> um, stumbling across your papers all the time, and then Healy, you know, you 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 basically you're not newly qualified, but you you haven't been on the register for very long, but you've you've already bagged your PhD. You're helping students. You know, you're you're on the move, and you're you're in amongst new stuff. So I don't know who wants to go first, really, but. Um, I suppose I'd be really keen to understand, like, what steps. Uh, I don't know. Let's say a, a community or a GP pharmacy pharmacist might take. You know, who do you speak to? What 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 do you do to if you've got an? You know, if you find a, a pressing need, let's. I, I'll just dream one up. Maybe. I don't know. Asthma. You know, you're you're concerned about asthma deaths, for example, in your locality. And then you go and read the National Review of Asthma Deaths, and, you, and you, you, you know, you tally up, you make a bit of a link, and think, "Gosh, there is a problem here. Maybe I would like to do a bit of research and and see if it extrapolates up to the national level." How do you go about that? I think, um, so, so one of the things I would say is when we have an idea, you know, it's great to have our our um, our ideas. Um, the first thing I would always encourage people to do, I do it with practitioners. They don't have to be pharmacists. It's anybody that comes to me with a, an idea saying, I want to do research on X. I say to them, well, what has been done thus far to, to answer the, the question that you have? And very, um, very often people haven't looked to see what has been done um, what has been researched on that topic previously. And that is a, it's a really good starting point um, because it might be that there's a huge amount of uh, research already being done um, at, that a person's not been aware of um, or that, that it hasn't actually been collated into a usable format for a pharmacist or for use in a community pharmacy or practice pharmacist and so on. Um, so, so that's the, the starting point is to see is there a need? What what is known? Is there a gap in our knowledge? And then if there is a gap, then it's okay. So what what needs to be done to actually um, fill that gap, um, address that research question? And then it's well well who's relevant? So if it's you mentioned asthma, Jonathan. So for me, it would be if I was a community pharmacist, I would look around to see. Who, who has the um, asthma, the multi, it's a multidisciplinary approach research. Usually it, it works better because healthcare is multidisciplinary. So are any of my local GPs involved in asthma um, with a particular interest? Or um, is there a local school of pharmacy or a local school of medicine or a school of nursing and so on? And have a look to see, does anybody have particular interest or expertise in the in the area or the topic I'm interested in and then um, drop them an email give them a call and and just um, start off the discussion in that way and that's that's often how things um, research has occurred or that I've become involved with just from those early early discussions checking to see what's been done and then moving forward very interesting yeah Katrina. Yeah, so um, adding to that, just there's a couple of other routes more at this then, you know, when you've done your wee bit of working things out, how can you kind of get, get, move on to the next stage, I suppose, and there are options there. So I've got 
so there's Pharmacy Research UK does have these um, particular schemes that you can apply for where they're trying to really build the research capacity for practicing pharmacists. So that would be one route that people should look at. Um, that would be ideally in combination with um, you know, having made the contacts that Mags has, has described, so they're not doing it kind of completely on their own, that they've got that kind of support structure, if you like, to help guide them through that process. So that'd be one. Also, I just want to mention in Scotland um, that there is now some schemes, Mags will know a wee bit more about it, but there has been schemes where you can apply to do um, further research through Strathclyde and Robert Gordon's universities. And in the drugs field in Scotland, we have something called the Drugs Research Network. So if people are interested in, in that, then I would, you know, they can make that contact as well. And that's just about providing a kind of guidance and support structure. People are interested in, in those areas in particular. So that's a few of the kind of practical tips um, of, you know, how to navigate actually getting some research fund access to funds and support very good um mike said something um quite interesting there and and it was it was mentioned before the call actually as well about multidisciplinary a multidisciplinary approach and i i've got to hold my hands up and say this is like this is the the future pharmacist conference and we are all pharmacists so Maybe from a maybe from an editorial point of view, I need to think about that. How um, how we facilitate conversations between maybe some doctors, nurses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but that's interesting. So it's it's there's there's nothing complicated about it. It's it, there's a lot a lot of it is just like all things in your career. Motivation, seek to understand, read around, and and be persistent. Would that be would that be fair to say? Probably oversimplifying that a bit. I think those are all elements that that are, are needed I would say it's um, being being observant seeing what's happening around you what what are the challenges your patients are facing or the population is facing or your other health and social care professionals are facing um, what are the challenges with medicines um, you know so it's it's being observant and then thinking I would also like to say um, you know, we can we can all have research ideas. It doesn't mean to say that we have to follow up every research idea and that we have to lead it. Um, we can liaise with other folks. Um, it might be somebody is in practice. They've identified this as a real challenge. They don't necessarily wish to or have the time to follow this up. But as long as that challenge that they have faced is flagged up somewhere to someone that this is a problem that's being faced for my patients or for my practice my service delivery it's it's um raising awareness about that and somebody else could take that on as okay let's see what we can do about it so i think it's important to just remind folks that not everybody has to do a phd to be involved in research um, not everybody has to lead every project it's great to be able to contribute in some way. Um, it's sometimes it's um, you know even completing one questionnaire that you've been sent. You're actually contributing to research. You're actually taking things forward. You're generating evidence. 
you might not necessarily feel that at the time when you've done a full day's work and you've got this questionnaire in front of you but all of these things help um, so there's a whole spectrum of involvement that people can have in research either as participants or idea generation in advisory groups for research projects or leading projects and if you get really um really embedded in research like at the end of my phd it was the only thing that i just wanted to keep on i wanted to keep on going with this so um but not everybody has to do that so there's a really wide wide spectrum of types of involvement that pharmacists can have in in relation to research but it's really important that we engage in research all of us because we need to generate evidence of what works what harms how best to do things so um again i'll step off my my <laughs> my, my soapbox and and let some of the others speak does anyone want to come in or are you happy enough i think max and katrina have covered most of have beautifully covered what what i might have have said um i just i know katrina mentioned a couple of the funding schemes that were particularly useful in scotland so i just thought maybe if i mentioned so obviously pr uk um uh, covers different nations in england the nihr is one of the main funding stream major funding streams for health research i did my phd in an nihr center like an infrastructure but there are ways to get individual fellowships but i'm very conscious and i think it's, it's worth being realistic that preparing a, a fellowship is a big undertaking and i would like to see more support for clinicians earlier in that process um so you, you can get um sort of pre-doctoral funding but to do that you have to do an application form which takes time and requires work before that so i'd really like to see some parity with some other healthcare professions to be honest um i, I don't mean that as negatively as it sounds but I, I i want to acknowledge that our colleagues that might be working in a different um setting on the front line i you know there are a lot of other, other pressures so um you know i, I want to make sure people yeah, you know, that's acknowledged that, that they, they haven't got all the time in the world to be sitting right writing applications necessarily but what might be useful um uh, things like attending conferences so not just pharmacy conferences so if you have got an special interest in mental health in asthma parks whatever whatever lo local national conferences and particularly in the virtual world where perhaps the attendance might not be quite so expensive so it might be more accessible um you start to get to know the people in the field listen to podcasts that might interview these people the same names of, of people will pop up and you'll understand uh who's leading a lot of the work in the field perhaps people to get in touch with and um, and of course that includes the hsrpp conferences that pr uk organize as well that's a good way to see what's going on in terms of pharmacy research um, and see people you know you might want to speak speak to as well so I, yeah and i realized when i did my when i spoke first my introduction i mentioned a lot of people's names and i, I kind of want to acknowledge that 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 it is all about working in teams, um, as, is, as is all pharmacy, uh, all pharmacy sectors. Um, and I'm, I'm very glad to be brought together with this team today for the potential collaboration opportunities as well. So uh, always be, be kind and share what you're doing and listen to what other people are doing as well, because you, you never know where that might lead.
yeah always be be open-minded and yeah absolutely Haley. yeah lovely lovely answer there's there's a few other a few more questions and, and you've been very generous with your time everyone um there, there's a there's a sort of ongoing question about um actually i'm not going to go there yet i'm going to go here first so do you think I, I suppose my inference here is that maybe research by pharmacists is is it baked in to what a pharmacist is 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 the question you know is there an expectation that that pharmacists should do research and 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 that's the difference you know the difference i'm trying to make here is is it is it a nice to have and a, and a new career direction or is it something that every pharmacist should really be expected to do i'm thinking of like you know the the rounded professional pharmacist in inverted commas to, to be a to be a true professional i would i as an a consciously incompetent research person who's done the odd audit over the years i think you should really be doing at least an element of it and, and actually to, to healy's point Without, we're not going negative here at all, but wouldn't it be nice if that was sort of baked in to, let's say, your early years training or, you know, a little a little segment of your career time has to be devoted to, you know, at the very least, some qualitative research or, or a little bit of an audit or, or so on and so forth. What do you reckon to that? I think this comes back to what Max was saying about the spectrum of being involved in different different parts of the spectrum of research, really. And my, what, I, what I really would like to say is that at the very least, we need to be able to understand research. So the pandemic has been a great example of that, that you, you literally need to be able to go to the empirical research and interpret it, probably to be able to translate that to the patients coming into your pharmacy. And that that's really, really essential. Um, in order to to achieve any good outcomes for patients in any element of pharmacy, isn't it? To be able to understand what the research is saying and give that balanced communication, I would say. I think there's I think there's a growing recognition um, of the importance of research, so it's not just an added extra, and we're seeing that in some of the the frameworks that are coming yeah. out um, and draft frameworks that are coming out from the um, educators um, relevant to pharmacy. So, so um, and in our continuing professional development um, and the the, uh, the standards and so on, that research research is mentioned. Um, and I, again, it's going back to this spectrum thing. There used to be many, many years ago, there was a report from the pharmacy task force and they had this diagram. It was a square, it was a square box and within that, they, there was a smaller box and a smaller box again. So the overall box, so that was 100% of pharmacists, that was represented. And it was saying that all pharmacists should be research aware. And, and so that, um, that reflects what Haley just said there, that we should all be aware of what is going on that is relevant to us in whatever sector or whatever we are doing, um, so that we know that, that what, what is happening, we're, we're staying current. The smaller box within in the square was um, suggested maybe 10% of people were research active. So 10% of the pharmacy profession were research active. I actually think that's, that's a, 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 a huge um, um, 
it, it doesn't reflect what, what what is the ideal. I I think a lot a lot of pharmacists can be research active. Again, even if it's filling in a questionnaire for somebody else's research, they're contributing or participating in an interview. So there there was that. And then the smallest box in the square represented one percent one percent of represent uh, of registered pharmacists, and that was for leaders in research. And again. I would say that that is is not very aspirational. And if we look around now, we have lots of pharmacists um, who are engaged in research. They might not be engaged in research 100% of their of their role, but they are actually they are leading from where they are. So um, you know, Haley Haley has this really challenging position of being an academic and being a practitioner. So juggling is very challenging. But also, uh, it, she's in a she's in a beneficial position because there'll be all this stimulus stimulus that she gets from her her patient facing role that can really feed in to her um, her research. And similarly for Katrina, so with Katrina and her academic role, but also her policy role and all the work she's doing with with the the drug deaths. So that that's you know that's really rich fertile ground for for generating ideas and actually using your research to make a difference. So, um, so I I think the box and the research active, research aware, re leading research. These are things. These are hats that we can all wear, and we can wear them at different points. Um, um, through throughout our careers. I think very interesting. I think I think I suppose that the inference behind all of that is that you know. I think I'm and I'm going to come on to another question and then and then we'll we'll close shortly because because um, as I say you've been very generous with your time. I think you know a, a profession in inverted commas in the truest sense of the word. You know, for us to to aspire to be that and 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 sort of, you know, walk down that path of to, towards autonomy and you know breaking new ground of, you know, you know, t taking the leap to understand and explore unknown unknowns as well as known unknowns in the research world is, I suppose, as a as a as a non researcher that feels like mission critical to us. If we're not probing forward and and accelerating our ambition. And research within within you know the job of a pharmacist really, then then there's a problem, and I think you guys absolutely obviously lead the way in that. But I suppose what I'd like what I would like to do is like like clone you about you know a thousand times each, and and start to I guess normalise what you guys are doing, particular as Mag says, particularly Haley and Katrina with those dual roles, you know that. That's quite an interesting model because anyone that works in practice, is, as Mag says, is there's there's lots of problems and lots of unknown issues to to go after. Yeah, and can, can I add to that, Jonathan? So I've got to confess that my, I've had to curtail my my locum in, for example. Um, so I am in a full time academic role, and I was keeping my locum in up to keep up to date. But that that becomes quite difficult to do that. So. I would like the space with creative in people's job roles as much as that could be in a practical level, you mm -hmm. know, to, under, to understand and be involved in research because, and particularly, and, and Jonathan will know this, I always talk about mental health, <laughs> but 
the first of all of being a mental health researcher is to look after your own mental health so you know i'm very conscious of not encouraging people to to actually you know really take on more than than is, is sensible within their sort of their role but also to be ambitious to to get involved in these things so it's kind of a, a fine balance so at the nihr they do have some like joint clinical lectureship schemes but i'd like really like to see that more and from both angles so the, the push on that side of things is getting clinicians into research and that's obviously who we're aiming at today so that's brilliant i'd also like to see some support for researchers to maintain that clinical role that policy role so that people don't move too far away from what's going on in the ground and what, one really good way of doing this though without having it within your job role per se as a researcher is to is to have involvement in patient and public involvement a different ppi to the one that we all know but a, a P, another ppi um, and that, that's really crucial, actually, to sense check your research and, and check whatever you're doing actually is meaningful to people. And they may well, people with lived experience might talk to you and say, actually, I'd go down a totally different route with that. But yeah, that's kind of important, but this is way more important. So that's a good way as well to keep that sort of sense check on what you're doing. Very good. And I'm, I'm going to just two questions to finish. So the first one uh, make, does make a few assumptions. So. I think everyone on the call will be familiar with um, um, Professor Zubin Austin's research around, and this is this is a this is a sort of area that um, that I've indulged in over the last few years, and 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 it speaks to like you know what is a pharmacist, and 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 Zubin for those of the you know for those watching or listening that ha hasn't read his research, it's all about what a pharmacist is. It's all about you know. Are there common personality traits and so on and so forth um, that make you know that make up our pr profession? Obviously, we're not all the same, but but he has he has sort of hinted that at the fact that there are some common traits of a pharmacist that many of us will uh, recognise. The procrastinating perfectionist, for example, and 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 all that goes with that. Risk averse. Um, arguably, being held not not held back, but um arguably most comfortable when completing maybe a more technical task so i've had really interesting conversations and this is the space to do it this is this is our conference so that this is the time to talk about these sort of abstract things um we've had really interesting conversations with some of the folk in scott some of the pharmacists in scotland who have who've gone through the consultant pharmacist credentialing program and a lot of what came out of that conversation was around, um, you know, moving into the grey and, you know, being more comfortable as pharmacists with uncertainty and so on and so forth. So, the, 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 another interesting thing that I wanted to hear from this group as part of this chat was, do you think yeah, and, I, and again, Ma, I, I give a nod before I say this to, to Mags's comment that, that research really is a multidisciplinary activity when it's done best, fair enough. But do you think the pharmacist's personality traits that Zubin has indicated help or hinder um, pharmacists in general getting into, into research? For example, do you think a lot of pharmacists are lack the confidence or um, you know the perceived competence that they need to have a go. Yep, I'm happy to to jump in there. Um, yeah, so I think the personality traits 
hinder getting involved, but actually are really good for actually conducting research. Um, and one of the reasons I like research is I, sometimes I just really like being able to just sit in a room by myself and write something or analyze some data and not have to speak to people. So um, <laughs> the introvert is um, that introverted bit where you're just really focusing on what you're doing is, is a really good personality trait for, for that element of the research. But there's no doubt that holds us back probably collectively as a, as a profession and maybe in some individual way from those initial steps, you know, putting yourself out there and being forcing yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, and you've got to be, you know, you're not to be, it's not so bad now, but when I started out, you know, there's still a bit of a hierarchy, um, which really annoyed me. That was one of the reasons I got out of hospital pharmacy, because I couldn't stand that medical hierarchy where they all thought they were superior and I thought, can't be bothered with this. So I, I went and looked elsewhere for um, um, for interest, but you know, if you have any kind of element of that in your mind, you just you have to push through that because that's just nonsense, really. Um, so there's no doubt that, yeah, that can be a hindrance, but you've got to force yourself out of the comfort zone, I would say. And some, and this is going off track a little bit, but I guess this is where you're coming from from your comments about consultant pharmacists that the new roles like pharmacists and GP practice, that's where those personality traits have kind of been, you know, the difference between a GP personality traits where they're comfortable with risk and uncertainty and, um, and pharmacists going into that kind of space where they're less comfortable with that, and, you know, it became quite apparent, I think. And the reason I know that is from some research we did around, um, around pharmacists' role in, in, in general practice. So, yeah, I'm sure others will have some thoughts to add to that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, so I think it's within the pharmacy profession that we've got a wide range of characters. I mean, we've got a, right, a wide range of characters represented on, the, on, this, on this panel already. I think as pharmacists, the bottom line is our core being initially for sure when we're involved with medicines and patients is the safe and effective management of those patients and often the emphasis on uh, safety um, sometimes um, is to the detriment of effectiveness so we are taught, taught to be risk averse I think we are uh, quite risk averse as, as, a, as a profession I think it's not just about our characteristics our traits it's also about it's how we're taught and with medics, I'm sure a lot of them are very risk averse as well, but they are taught, as Katrina mentioned, they're taught to deal with uncertainty. And health is not, and health and illness is not black, it's not white, there is so much grey. So so maybe um so maybe it's not about um changing people's inherent characteristics if that's at all possible it's actually about recognizing and supporting through effective training for for for, for dealing with with uncertainty um, um so i don't think it's necessarily the pharmacist psyche that that necessarily holds people back from engaging in research i think there's this mystique that is often associated with research, 
which doesn't actually exist. And because we don't necessarily expose undergraduates to the whole realm of, of research as early on as perhaps we could or should, um, if we were to do that, if we say research is an integral part of any health and social care professional, we, we need to learn about it, we need to know how to use it, we need to know how to identify it, we, we need to know how it could be done. We don't actually all have to be doing it, we don't all have to be leading research, but to have a sense of what it is to demystify it, um, I think that will enable greater engagement um, by members of the profession with research moving forwards. Um, so um, I, I, I'm optimistic about that and I can see that there's real change and there's real acknowledgement and, and building in of research into frameworks and models for, for, for supporting the profession in the future. So um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm optimistic. Excellent. Haley, have you any thoughts to finish? Uh, well, I keep going last, though, I'm sorry. So I keep having eloquent explanations to follow <laughs> from both Katrina. <laughs> and, that, and I've got to say, I was smiling when you mentioned Zubin's work because I actually um, include his podcast in some of the material for my final year students, uh, the, the one that you did with him, Jonathan, um, because I think it's really good to reflect on. And actually, I suppose we all need to recognise our own strengths and individual preferences as to where we feel more comfortable uh, doing our pharmacy practice and whatever that might look like. So we can all still be pharmacists and we can all have the patient care as our forefront, but we might be different levels of removed from that patient, but we can still have that impact so long as we keep the patient in mind. So mm. if you feel that your skill set might be more in, in the, the research field, then you know, follow follow that. If you're not sure, have a go. Um, because you know, it's going it's for the patient benefit at the end of the day, which is why we all do our practice. Excellent. Yeah, some no some interest really interesting comments. Um I think Zubin's work is is interesting. You know, it's it's not the type of research we we, we need to talk about every day in our day-to-day -day lives, but this I think this is the forum where we, you know, where where it's okay to sort of reflect on that. I I mean, I personally, I feel across sort of all the disciplines of pharmacy, his his work is maybe a, it's quite a useful line in the sand, you know, um, it's quite a useful um, place to start. The, the new, what I would like to think is more of a, an autonomous clinician that, that you know, competence-based uh, learning, um, you know, maybe maybe a little well we need to invent our own education model but you know sort of we need to i think we need to maybe start with the sort of sort of medical model training you know, things like elements like supervision of practice um as i say competence-based learning maybe credentialing as well um and that could be i guess that could be applied to to research and then very interesting Mike, what you say about well i think we're all sort of hinting at that that it, it it would be really, really good and interesting, and probably quite rewarding for pharmacists if that if research was was sort of baked in. Um, but listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw it to a close there because you've been you've been as I say very generous with your time and um, absolutely wonderful, like really cool to get 
as I said at the start, I, I meet so many very interesting talented people these days and, and and this group absolutely delivers like if anybody's watching or listening i highly recommend go and go and google mags watson research trina matheson research Haley gordon research and see what comes up and you'll just see the the um the, the volume of of meaningful work that they've been doing so yeah thank you for your time and i'm hoping hoping that um Maybe one or two pharmacists might might step outside that procrastinating perfectionist bubble and step over their doubt and and have a go at research. Really, fingers crossed. I hope so, Jonathan. And just to say, I'm obviously I'm hoping that all the pharmacists out there will have read our research as part of their continual professional development. And <laughs> that's my ultimate hope that, <laughs> that our research is actually is you know to some extent. Um, already maybe being used or read um but yeah but wouldn't it we be interesting people, probably... please please uh, you know we can people want to get in touch for for yeah. um bits of hint, hints and tips without being flooded with too many uh, that would certainly be be welcome I, i'd like to I, I second that um it would be great if, if people are reading it what i would say is if you're a community pharmacist in scotland you're benefiting, your practice is actually benefiting from research because um, smoking cessation is yep. a, a service that's part of your contract. And the reason it's part of your contract is because a, a former colleague of both Katrina and mine, she, she led the first randomised controlled trial of pharmacist delivery of smoking cessation to see um, what was the added value, if any, of pharmacists, community pharmacists providing this service. And that study demonstrated added value of community pharmacists providing this service. And it was as a, a direct result of that study that it is now included in the Scottish community pharmacy contract. So that's a very tangible, it's a very real example. And what we need is more and more examples where we have evidence, we can present it to policymakers and contractors and funders and say, look, this is what pharmacists can do. This is the benefit we can demonstrate to patients, to the public, to other health professionals, to the NHS system. So um, please do have a look and see what's out there. And if you do have questions or you have an interest, um, I'm happy to be contacted in whatever capacity um, to have a chat with you as well. So um, see this as an, as, a, as an opportunity if it's something that that appeals to you. Very good, thank you. And and you probably, man, she probably covered uh, a question that I should have asked. Really, you know, the obvious question is, give us some examples of um, you know research that has been done that, that that has tangible impact. So that's that's a faux pas on my part. Um, but yeah, absolutely, smoking cessation is a cracking example. But I guess if you look around, there's tens, hundreds of examples uh, that are similar. Um, but listen, thank you very much, folks. I'm going to, as I say, draw to a close and just say thank you so much for your time. And um, as I said before, fingers crossed, some, some pharmacists will be listening to this. And, and if, all, if all they do is get in touch with you guys to have a brief, I mean, there's all manner of ways to communicate with each other these days, but like, I don't know, Twitter, email, I don't know, 
Batman sign in the sky communication. I'm not sure, but if that's all that happens, then I'll be happy. Um, and um, yeah, have a have a great day, and thanks for your time. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, thanks, thanks everyone. Thanks, thanks, Bye. folks. Bye now. Bye.